Hi, everybody. Great to be with you tonight. Uh, thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. Uh, we are at full capacity tonight, um, the full 100 here tonight, with some that missed out and some that um, are waiting in the uh, lounge, uh, hoping to get in, but didn't register. And so just that little reminder to get in quick and register, otherwise you just may miss that 100 at the moment. For those online, particularly those that missed out for this week, uh, we look forward to welcoming you next week. And um, it's great um, that we can gather together like this. I really... I'm so thankful to be back together, seeing lots of faces, a few less masks um, as we're sitting down, which is perfectly okay. Um, just don't forget to keep that 1.5 metre distance afterwards um, when, we're looking, uh, when we're having a chat afterwards. But um, let's pray that God will speak to us as we now start this new series uh, in uh, Luke's Gospel that we've titled Resolute. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for uh, this opportunity to gather together now to hear uh, your word, uh, to have it um, explained to us. And I pray that you would use my words to help us to better understand your word to us tonight. Help me to be faithful to your word and help us to, um, to go away from here changed because you have speak, uh, spoken to us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, Mal Watts gave an excellent talk on what it means to follow Jesus from Matthew chapter 4. And um, I was um, away last weekend, and as I was listening to um, the talk, I thought, oh no, he's pinched my talk for this first talk in this new series, um, because what we're looking at today is what it means to follow Jesus, which exactly what he preached on last week. So at one level, I felt like, well, maybe I should just say that and sit down, go and watch last week's sermon. But as we come into Luke chapter 9, the stakes seem higher, and it seems to be more of what is the cost of following Jesus. Indeed, as it was read, I'm sure that you, like me, thought that Jesus perhaps has even gone a bit too far. What he's calling for from us is just too much. I mean, look at verse 57 to 62. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I mean, seriously? Is Jesus saying that to follow him will mean that we'll have no place to call home? Is he saying that we can't even bury our own father? Or say goodbye to our family if we're to follow him. I mean, what do we do with these verses? They seem just too hard, too radical, and indeed almost heartless. Well, to understand what Jesus is saying here, we need to grasp some of the context into which these words are said and understand some of what's driving Jesus at this point in Luke's Gospel. You see, in many ways, the start of our passage today marks an important transition in Luke's Gospel. Up until this point in Luke's Gospel, Jesus has done some extraordinary things. He said some amazing things, and people keep asking him the question, 
and asking one another question. Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this man? And all this comes to a head in Luke chapter 9. In verse 20, Jesus now puts it to his followers, the question that's been bubbling away up to this point in Luke's gospel. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? Well, we've heard what everybody else thinks, but who do you say I am? And it's at this moment that Peter answers on behalf of himself and the others, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the one we've been waiting for. And this must have been an extraordinary moment for the disciples, for they have been watching him, they have been listening to him, and they've concluded that this must be who Jesus is, the long-awaited eternal king promised in the Old Testament. They've worked it out. Well, kind of. For Jesus then goes on to tell them what he has come to do. He goes on to tell them about his own sufferings and rejections that were about to come. Verse 44, he says to them, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying, because it didn't match their preconceptions of who the Messiah would be. They thought he'd be just like the great kings of the past, who ruled with power and ultimately led them to victory over their enemies and free from their tyranny. But Jesus would be a king like none other, none that they had ever known before. Jesus is a king, yes, He is the Lord of the universe. Yes, he's the ruler over all humanity. Yes, but he's a king like any other king that we and they could have ever have imagined. He would suffer. He would be betrayed. He'd be spat upon. He'd be crucified. A ruler who would come and choose to do this is a different kind of king than anyone could have ever imagined. And it comes to a head in verse 51 which is the beginning of our passage today, and indeed the beginning of the travel narrative of Luke's Gospel. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. What we have here in this chapter is a massive shift from who Jesus is to what he has come to do. Now that the disciples recognize who Jesus is, he now wants to show them why he has come, his mission, what his his purpose is. Up until this point, Jesus has centered his ministry up in the northern regions of Israel, up in the Galilee by the sea. But now it's time to move south to Jerusalem. And this is a very significant moment for Jesus. For Jerusalem wasn't just, you know, another place on the map that he wanted to visit. It's a city of great significance for Jesus, for it is to be the place of his crucifixion. And he knew it, as it was always part of the sovereign plan of God. Indeed, if we jump just ahead to Luke 18, we read from verse 31. We know Jesus knows about this because he says these words to his disciples. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him and kill him. 
On the third day, he will rise again. Jesus knew that Jerusalem was the place where he will be dishonored, where he would be demeaned, disrespected, abused, rejected, flogged, spat upon, and finally killed. He knew that, and yet he resolutely set his face towards that place, absolutely determined to go there. Now, this tells us something about who Jesus is. Let me explain with an illustration. Imagine the President of the United States, arguably, arguably, arguably uh, the most powerful person on the planet, visits another country, a smaller country, and when he arrives with his entourage, he, takes, uh, he makes his way to the rulers of that country. And as he arrives at that place, uh, where the rulers are gathered, he's escorted into the foyer of the building. And a messenger goes to the governing rulers and tells them that the President of the United States has arrived in their building. Now imagine if uh, they tell the messenger to go back to the President and tell him, I'm sorry, we're just a little busy at the moment, we're having lunch. And so they keep eating and drinking. And in the meantime, they don't send anything out to the President, they don't send him any food or drink, they just make him wait until they have finished their lunch, a leisurely lunch. And then some two hours later, when they finally finish their lunch, they send out someone to call the President to come before them. Now that's the way they treat the President. You're an American, and you hear how your tre- President has been treated by these leaders. So how are you feeling about this country and its leaders and how they have treated your president? Just think about it for a moment and let's put it in perspective. You have nuclear bombs at your disposal to use. Would you use them? Wouldn't you feel insulted? Wouldn't you feel outraged that a country, a small little country, would treat your president like that? that they should demean him in such a way, leaving him waiting like that. The world's most powerful man. Who do they think they are to treat him like that? Well, that's much of what's going on in our passage today. Verse 51, Jesus resolutely sets his face to Jerusalem where he knows that he will be mocked and killed. And then from verse 52 we read, and he sent messages on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. These Samaritan villages were directly in between where he was in the north and Jerusalem in the south. And so having resolved to head to Jerusalem, he needed first to head through these villages. These people in the Samaritan village hear uh, that he's going to Jerusalem. And so verse 53, we are told they do not welcome him. Now, to understand this, we need to know a little bit of their history. Why don't the Samaritans welcome Jesus? Just because he's heading to Jerusalem. Well, because the Samaritans had broken away from the Jewish people who had held that Jerusalem was the place and the seat of God. They did not believe this notion and believed that the seat of God was elsewhere. And so, here we have this really cool guy that is actually coming into our village We've heard all about what he's been doing. We've heard all about what he's been saying. We think he's amazing until 
we find out he wants to go to Jerusalem. Now we don't want anything to do with him. But look what happens, verse 54. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to send in the nukes? Do you want us to bomb them? Do you want us to, let, do you want us to call fire down from heaven? Do you see, what you've got here in these disciples, they think that Jesus is the great world leader, which of course he is. But they think of him as a great world power in a certain way. Which is, which is one that would pursue prestige, that would be respected by everyone, that deserves the honour and glory for who he is. But instead, Jesus is saying in his rebuke, uh, but instead, Jesus is saying in his rebuke, yes, I am that world leader, but I'm going to embrace mockery and rejection and be despised, for that is the kind of leader I am. But do you think that's the kind of the leader that the disciples want? No. At the first point of rejection, they want to call down fire from heaven. But the reality is, is that Jesus is different to what they thought he would be. Now, let's push this illustration just a little further. Imagine that the American president goes to this smaller country knowing that he will be um, treated this way by this um, country. He resolutely goes knowing that they would disrespect him, knowing that they would despise and reject him and mock him, but he still goes. Well, what kind of leader is this? Well, he's either one of two things. He's either a great fool and a very weak man, or he's a man on a mission, determined to achieve an outcome that matters so much that it matters more than his own respectability. It matters more to him than being treated properly, that he is prepared to suffer the indignity of being mocked and rejected and despised because he is more concerned for the outcome that he wants to achieve. Now, what kind of man is that? What kind of president would you be if you were like that? Would you not be seen as a man of great humility, courage, dignity, depth? A man who did not count himself above others. That would be the shape and character of who that man was, would it not be? And that, friends, of course, is exactly who Jesus is. Yes, Jesus is the Christ. Yes, Jesus is the Messiah, the ruler over all things. But he is also the one who rules in such a way that he's more concerned with the outcome that he's willing to achieve than the, uh, and that is the honour of his Father in the salvation of the lost. He's more concerned with the outcome he's willing to achieve, being the honour of his Father in the salvation of the lost. And he's so con concerned to achieve that outcome that his dignity matters little. Such is his love for us. Friends, this is our God. This is our Lord. This is the Jesus we serve. This is the shape and character of Jesus. And when you understand it, well, it starts to make sense of what he now says and does. And so we move on and return to those difficult verses I read out earlier, from verses 57 to 62. And I hope you can see, as we walk through this, 
where Jesus is coming from as he responds to each of these men who say that they're willing to follow Jesus, but first. Three times we read that uh, they will follow Jesus, that um, they will follow Jesus. Verse 57, I will follow you wherever you go. Verse 59, follow me. Verse 61, I will follow you, Lord. And so what is clear is that the essence of what it is to be Christian, be a follower of Jesus. It's not just believing in Jesus, but being a follower, following where he goes, being like him. Now, there's no doubt that what he says here is confronting in these verses. It will challenge many of our deep-set values. But what we need to realise is Jesus is calling these men to follow him at a particular time and to follow him in mission. For here, Jesus has a particular mission that he is on, to a particular city that he's heading towards, to die a real death, and it's only a few months away. And so to rightly understand Jesus, the response to these men, we must keep this in mind. So let's look at each one of these again. Verse 57. As they were walking along the road, they've started their journey, and they started it from up in the north, and they're heading towards Jerusalem. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You want to follow me, says Jesus? Well, in this journey, I have nowhere to live. You want to follow me? Well, you need to realise that what that will mean for you right here, right now. I'm walking from up here in Galilee, and I'm walking to Jerusalem. And if you want to follow me, it will not be a comfortable trip. Verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord... Let me first go bury my father. Again, remember, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. It's only a few months away before he will face his execution. There's an urgency about his movement at this time. And so he says, if you want to follow me, you just don't have time to go back and fulfill all the burial requirements for your father. Because by the time you've done this, I'll be long gone. Instead, what is more urgent is that you use this time to go ahead of me and proclaim the kingdom of God as we make our way to Jerusalem, the very thing that Jesus will go on to call his disciples two by two to do in chapter 10. Verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And again, we need to see that there's just no time for this. For Jesus, he is set on a mission. The time is short, and he will have moved on before you get back. Jesus is saying to him, you make your choice. You can follow me to Jerusalem or go back home. But know this, you are not fit for service for my kingdom and what is to come if you do not come now and follow me. For right now, at this time, what I am doing is more urgent than anything else. Now, friends, all of these three events, these encounters with Jesus, were at a particular time in history, while Jesus was on a particular journey with a particular mission. And so we need to be careful not to think they will straight away transfer to us. I don't think Jesus is saying that Christians should not own a home. I don't think he's saying here that we should not um, look after our family, bury our father if he dies, that we should just keep moving on. 
um, striving forwards. Forget all that. I don't think he's saying that we shouldn't love our families. These were particular responses of Jesus to particular men at a particular time. However, there are principles we've got to draw from these that we need to see. You see, if you want to be part of God's kingdom, then you need to follow the king and know what the king is about. And our King Jesus is on a mission. For him, it was to honour his Father in the salvation of the lost. We'll see this over and over again in the coming weeks. And he's resolute. He's determined to make that happen. Indeed, if we were to read on in Luke's Gospel, we would see that Jesus does fulfil his mission in his death on the cross in Jerusalem. However, that's not even the end of his mission. The proclamation of the repentance needed and the forgiveness of sins that is on offer to all people is now the role of all those who would follow Jesus. Come and look with me further into Luke, in Luke chapter 24, at the end of the Gospel. Jesus has died, he has risen, and now he says these words. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And so like Jesus, we as his followers are to be on mission, taking the good news of forgiveness of sins and the need to repent to the world. But for us, unlike these men... The urgency is different. Now, we don't, know, uh, we don't know when things will come to an end. We all know that there will be a day of reckoning, a day when all people will be asked to give an account for the lives they've lived before God. That could be this week. That could be months away. That could be years away. That could be even longer. And so for those of us who follow Jesus today, well, owning a home burying our father, taking the time to properly say farewell to our family before going on a mission, are all okay while engaging in the mission of making disciples of Jesus. And yet at the same time, we need to realise there's still an urgency in this mission that we're on. As there are still so many people who have not yet repented, who have not yet benefited from the forgiveness of sins that is on offer in Jesus' death. And what is clear from Jesus is that mission, even though these other things are okay, must take first priority. For to follow Jesus is not a matter of uh, yes, I will follow you, Jesus, but first. Yes, I will follow you, Jesus, but first let me finish my studies and then I'll go and tell others about you. Yes, I will follow you, Jesus, but first, let me get settled in my career so that I can provide a good home for my family, and then I will find the time to be on your mission. Yes, Jesus, I will follow you, but first, my kids, they need a good education. They need every opportunity to flourish, to be well-rounded, with good friends and sport and music lessons and swimming lessons. Let me first get them through all of this, and then I'll be ready to proclaim the forgiveness of sins that can only be found in you. 
Yes, Jesus, I will follow you, but first, I've worked so hard and earned this time in my retirement to travel Australia and to travel the world. Once I've got that out of the system, then yes, I will um, go wherever you want me to go. You getting the point? You see, following Jesus today is not yes, but first. For if we're a follower of Jesus, our first priority must always be Jesus and his mission to save the lost. And just like Jesus resolutely sets his face towards Jerusalem, you and I, if we are followers of Jesus, need to be resolute in engaging the mission to seek and save those who are lost around us. Those who do not yet know the forgiveness and new life that can only be found in Jesus. Sure, we will have other priorities to manage. But if we're a follower of Jesus, this is number one. And all other priorities come in under that. Number one, to follow Jesus is to follow him on his mission. Every other priority comes in under that family work, career, you name those things that you have got in your priority list, all under the number one. And so as we engage in this mission together, of course we can be thankful for the homes that we may be able to to buy and be blessed to have. Of course we can be thankful for our families and friends for the jobs that we have and the hobbies we might enjoy. But in every part of our life, our first priority needs to be, how can God use me to make his kingdom known and that I can honour his king, the Lord Jesus? That's what we're going to be looking at together over the coming weeks. Um, And particularly, we're going to be looking at this in our growth groups. Now, most of us here are in the growth group. If you're not, come and see me afterwards because this is a great term to be in a growth group. For as we take our journey with uh, with Jesus to Jerusalem over this term, as we go on this travel narrative, as we uh, follow Jesus, as he's teaching his disciples, lots of the great parables are in this section, and as as he's equipping his disciples to get this priority right, well, there's a section in every study that Andrew's written for us. Uh, that will help to equip us for the mission of telling others about Jesus. So we'll be looking at the passage and then we'll be doing a section together where, um, where we'll be equipping each other to know some of the apologetic answers, to know a short outline of what we believe in Jesus, to be able to pray for those who are in our networks and be open our eyes to who God's got around us. All those very basic things that it takes to be able to be on the mission, this term we're going to have this opportunity to be equipped in that. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? If this is first priority. If this is our first priority, then we want to be equipped and ready to be able to be on the mission that Jesus wants us to be on. So I want you to work hard this term on that area. The passages are going to be great. You're going to understand them fairly straightforwardly sometimes. Sometimes you'll be, they'll be a bit tricky But that section of the studies, and this is a particular word for the growth group leaders, do not skip it. You'll want to, because I guess we use the word evangelism training, and we don't like that. 
But this is what it means to be on mission. This is our priority. And so take the opportunity to look at that with each other. Equip each other. Let's get to Christmas knowing we can actually share the good news of Jesus with our family and friends. Because, friends, that is what Jesus has us on. If we are to follow Jesus, it is, yes, I will follow you. Not yes, but first. Yes, I will follow you. And following Jesus is following him on mission. His mission was specific. He had to go to the cross to die for you and I. But then he set his disciples, his followers, the mission to make, uh, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have taught you. That's our mission. And it's our priority if we're followers of Jesus. So let me pray for us as, um, as we go into this great series. And let's take this term to be equipped for the task of being on mission with Jesus. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for this new series, this opportunity to walk with Jesus from up north in Galilee all the way down to Jerusalem. Uh, a great, um, a great uh, trip to take, but also lessons to learn along the way. But right at the beginning, Jesus has set the tone for this trip is not going to be just a holiday of comfort. This trip is a mission, a mission to seek and save the lost. That only happens in his death that will happen in Jerusalem, but it continues today as we proclaim that death and the forgiveness of sins that's on um, offer. And so, Father, we pray that as uncomfortable as that may make us, as, um, as it pushes against our other priorities, we pray that you will equip us well for the task of being on mission with Jesus. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.